Moto America fans, it's time for another episode of Off Track with Carruthers and Bice. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you may even learn something from this unlikely pair and their special guest. The mic is yours, Paul and Sean. Hello, Moto America fans. I am coming to you from Central Ohio at actually 10 o'clock at night Eastern. So I've got my FM DJ voice on right now. But uh, yeah, we uh, we have a special guest on this particular episode and took a little doing to get him on here, but we're willing to do, go into the witching hour to have him on. So, um, but anyway, this is uh, Off Track with Carruthers and Vice. I'm obviously Vice, and I'm joined by our communications manager, uh, Paul Carruthers, out on the West Coast. It's a little earlier there for him. So, but still kind of late, Paul. I mean, it's doing these this late. It's like, uh, you know, you got to put your smoking jacket on and your snifter of brandy or something, right? <laughs> Not exactly, but it is. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a bed I'm a bed at nine nine thirty guy. I get up at five thirty guy. So <laughs> we're a little opposite. You're you old. Do, you do well, get up early. So we did you actually, just call me old. Yeah, he did. And if people are wondering who that person is, I'm going to just flat out say it. It's 48 year old Josh Hayes, who <laughs> isn't really that old. I mean. Um, but Josh is our guest this week after what he did up at Brainerd International Raceway and uh, setting a new record, 87 all-time wins. And also he had two really good results, I think, in um, for sure. And Superbike um, yeah, was definitely a factor and helped that team. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. But we're going to try – we want to talk about the earlier days of Josh Hayes because – he had an interesting start to his career and Paul actually put something up. Paul, Paul wrote when Paul was at cycle news, he wrote a story about Josh's first um, win at Daytona in seven fifty super stock. Is that what it was called? Back then? I think it was still seven fifty super sport. Yeah, it super, was super sport. And Paul put that up on, on social media today, but um you know, Josh, it's funny, as much as I know about your career and I know of your Weira era, but man, back then, I'll t I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I was so out of touch with Weira back then. I mean, all of those Valvoline, Emgo, Suzuki guys, I mean, Michael Martin, I've only gotten to know more because of his involvement in Moto America, but, you know, I would hear about Trey Beatty and Stevie Patterson and all those guys, but only because of what I read. I never saw him because the tracks I would go to, Weir didn't really race there. So it's interesting that the front part of your career was was in Weira. And why? How did that? Why was that like that? Was it because of Team Hammer? Um. Well, I mean, at some point it, it was kind of that way, but I mean. I was just uh, a kid who graduated high school. I was into riding. My my best friend Stephen Breckenridge had gotten. We both got our first street bikes as seniors in high school. And when we graduated high school, and I wasn't sure what I was going to do with my life, I was just kind of dabbling with. Oh, I guess I'm going to do some community college stuff and work and figure out what I want to do. You know, my dad was a firefighter. I had a pretty narrow view of the world. And um, another kid locally went and tried and tried road racing i didn't even know it existed at an amateur level all, I, all i'd seen a couple races on tv just because i was interested you know gp and then back then i guess it was it was tnn did american sports cavalcade and they would show the harleys and 750 superstock or 750 supersport i guess at the time so i remember watching races at like loudon with aaron yates jason pridmore uh, what was the guy's name? Russell Katzenberger. Like there was a handful of guys, you know, and I, I remember those names from watching it on there. And uh, he went and tried some somewhere racing and the closest track to South Mississippi at the time was a little Talladega. And so he let me know, like through him, I kind of found out about the Ed Bargy racing school. And I said, man, this looks like fun. I want to go give this a shot. So I worked my butt off. I did a few things with my parents and convinced them to sign, co-sign a loan for me so I could get a personal loan, so I could get a set of leathers and a helmet and some race tires and get my bike ready and this and that. And I just went to dabble in it for fun. And so I went to the Ed Bargy School um, late 93. I uh, drove my mom's V6 Firebird with a three-rail trailer and my F2 on the back and a buddy of mine. And we drove to Little Talladega and did his little race school. 
And, you know, back then there was no track days. Like the best you could come up with was a test and tune day at like Ed's day. If you had completed the school and had your certificate and had a, a bike that was, you know, wired and ready to go racing, you could ride and do a test and tune kind of deal on the, on his school days when the, when the guys were in the classroom. So then my uncle who was living in Mobile, Alabama, he was, he was a street guy too, you know, and he got to know Grant Lopez who was already pretty established racing in Southeast Puerto stuff. So he connected us. And I remember meeting Grant, going over there and riding with him and goofing off and being like, yeah, man, you know, I mean, he'd had a million people like, yeah, we'll just get together. We'll share some, share some costs and travel around together. And very rarely did people stick it out, you know, but I did. And, uh, like when it started going well, pretty early and, he was like, oh, man, you're going to do the rest of them. So he actually put some effort in to help and make sure that I went. We were both riding the same motorcycle, so we had spares for one another, kind of watched out for one another and helped each other. And I learned a lot being his teammate and friend. And, you know, I would work all week, and then I'd throw my bike in the truck, drive to Mobile, Alabama, take it out of my truck, throw it in Grant's van, and we'd start driving and drive all night and get to the gate somewhere, Savannah, Georgia or something. We'd all pile out of this van. There'd be three or four of us, two F2s in a in an American-style van. We'd all pile out of this thing, lay underneath it, lay on the roof, whatever, until the gate opened in the morning, you know, race for the weekend. And when we were done, we'd drive all the way home and I'd be back to work Monday morning. So, you know, it'd be, I kind of fought my way through that for a few years and at that time, I mean, racing was different. There were actually teams in Wera, FUSA and Wera had partnered up. They had a national challenge and endurance series. The endurance was huge. There was lots of big super bikes and teams that you could ride on. And so, you know, like John and Keith Perry and those guys were kind of grabbing Southeast guys that were staying, you know, the fast guys and local guys in Wera and giving them a shot. But the team at that time was, you know, you know, their primary thing was endurance and some Formula USA. And so they picked up Grant my second year racing. And I was kind of on my own again in 1995. And I still had some success. And then uh, I got the call. <laughs> I remember uh, the season being over or nearly over, you know, in 1995. And, you know, this is the time of the dial up telephone, right? So yeah. my mom, my mom <laughs> says, hey, Josh, you know, I'm still living at home. Mom's like, hey, Josh, you got a phone call? I'm like, yeah, who is it? She goes, he says it's Keith Perry. And I go, that's my buddy Mikey. Give me that damn thing. And I'm like, what do you want? Uh, <laughs> Josh, this is Keith Perry. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <You know? laughs> wow. and, um, and we talked a little bit, and he had asked me if I wanted to join the team for 1996, you know? And, like, you know, the deal back then was, it was a little different, you know, like I, he already, you were already committed and going racing, right? We like what you're doing and we don't want you to change anything, but we're going to try to help you. We're going to, we're going to loan you motorcycles. We're going to give you all of our sponsored parts. And we just want you to follow, you know, these are the races that are the goals that we want you to do and do these things. And then we're going to have you step in because from time to time, an endurance race in FUSA would kind of conflict. And so it's pretty funny. My very first weekend that I raced for John Ulrich. We went to the Ware National. It was in Las Vegas, classic course, to do an endurance race. Wow. And the endurance bike, that GSXR 1100 Superbike, was John's bread and butter. Like that was the thing that put that team on the map. And it was it was the holy grail of Ware racing was to get to ride that bike. And it just so happened that it conflicted with another race. And so Grant Lopez, who had been on the team for one year and me, the rookie got tasked with racing. I can't remember a four or six hour at the classic course in Vegas. And, um, so, you know, I do the trek across the country in my shitty Ford van with the windows down. Cause we didn't have AC <laughs> tires out of balance. It shook you to death all the way there. You know, <laughs> in fact, in fact, I, I turned 21, like three days after we left to drive home. <laughs> wow. and, uh, but show up racing the classic course i remember you know back then the team suzuki sports thing with like mark black and uh aaron yates uh oh, there was a bunch of local guys mark mcdaniel 
you know, all these guys and uh, Mark Miller was one of them. And he was there and he, you know, we were all flirting with the track record. Like, I think at one point I broke the track record in the endurance race. Then Grant broke the track record again. And then on Sunday, uh, you know, Miller showed up with that bike and with his uh, 750 Super Sport bike and broke the track record. Like, it was just like this constant thing throughout the weekend. But I didn't crash the bike. And so I started on a good note with John, <laughs> you know, and honestly, uh, it just kind of carried on. I ended up doing, you know, 96, 97, 98, all in Wera stuff. And, uh, by the time 1998 came around, I had started really rolling on the 600 and probably my biggest rival in 600s at that time was Mark Young, who's now working over at Disrupt. Yes. And, uh, he and I were racing in Formula USA. We were racing in Wera. We were all chasing money, you know, at club races and just battling every weekend. It seemed like it was us, but man, I was really winning a lot of stuff. Uh, and we were all riding multiple bikes. I, I rode around with three motorcycles. I had a 600, 750 and a GSXR 1100 in my car, in my truck and trailer. And we'd run around and chase money and try to survive, you know? And uh, so I, I, I really ended up finishing on a strong note in 1998 um and when we got to the suzuki cup finals which was kind of our big finale for us at the gnf you know uh michelin showed up with a new tire the new pilot race tire and uh it was the first one that didn't have all the sights on it you know it had very few lines and it. it was more like a slick and man we showed up and with that front tire when we got to road atlanta i just i i I ended up running the table on the weekend. I just had an incredible weekend. The one race that I got beat was the 750. I had, I had led most of the 750 cup race. And right at the end, uh, Jamie Bowman beat me. And I only knew Jamie from watching him in AMA Pro Racing. It was he and I and James Randolph, I think, on the podium. And, like, you know, they, they were guys that I, I knew they were coming you know, they were coming down in level. I was trying to step up in level, you know, to come to that, that event. And, um, they were super gracious and nice to me on the podium. And, you know, it was all fantastic. And then, uh, the next year I got the call up that when, when John's team grew the year that it went from, from amateur, you know, like where, uh, you know, the wear endurance and stuff like that, it moved up into AMA pro. I got to move into the big truck at the same time that that happened. Oh, okay. So that, yeah. uh, that was just a bit of luck and serendipity that everything fell into place. Yeah. You know? And so I would, I was stepping right up into 600 super sport and formula extreme on a, basically, you know, a super bike of sorts. Um, and, uh, yeah, I had my hands full and then, uh, Ryan Landers who, ended up working for years with the Jordan team. He was, he was only, I think 16 or 17 at the time. And he was a young prospect that John was looking at. He ended up getting hurt prior to the season and breaking his elbow really bad and getting an infection at uh, Homestead. And so when we came to Daytona and John was trying to figure out what to do, cause he had two seven fifties and Lopez was doing seven fifty and FX. I was doing 600 and FX and uh ryan was going to do 600 and 750 and uh you know i said to john i go look i don't have any we don't have any formula extreme at daytona we didn't race that class at daytona i said so do you want me to jump on the 750 and just ride for the team and, and see if i can get a result you know and and then i'll go back to my regular scheduled duties as soon as we're we're done with that and uh john goes yeah yeah let's just do that john hopkins was on his radar but not old enough yet he was still only 15 years old and he couldn't ride until middle of the season. So, uh, Toby Jorgensen was another one who I think he was working with, but again, I think Toby wasn't quite old enough yet to do mm. the national stuff. And, um, so yeah, I got to ride it. And then lo and behold, I, I qualified on the front row for, uh, for 600 and, uh, you know, in a field that had basically 17 to 20, factory or factory supported paid riders on the grid in my first real 600 super sport event and at Daytona. And, uh, and I ended up, I think I qualified, I can't remember if I was pole or second, I think I was second, but ended up winning, you know, the 750 super sport race that weekend and running in the top five. I think I finished fifth or sixth in 600 super sport 
running amongst the front guys, you know, guys I had only watched on TV before. So it was a pretty incredible weekend that seemed to put me on the map pretty quick. And I remember some really special things that happened on the weekend. You know, we had raced NASB and CCS the week before. And so I'd had some laps at Daytona and then got to kind of sleep on it. And I rolled out in the very first practice in, in you know, 1999, 600 Super Sport. We rolled out the very first practice. The guys were just going out, getting up to speed. You know, they had all ridden the Daytona tire test in December, but it had been a bit. And I just ended up on track with Rich Oliver and Miguel de Hommel. And we're rolling around. And I'm like, holy smokes, you know, I'm just trying to learn and watch, stay with them, you know. And I come in. And I had gone about, I had won the, the weekend before at NASB and I'm, I come in and I want to say I was probably, you know, a quarter to a half a second faster than I had gone on that weekend. Mm. But riding with them, I had learned how to do it in a little different way where I didn't feel like I had a, a gun to my head doing it. You know, I, I was like, oh, I came in and I looked at Barry McMahon, who was my crew chief. And I go, Barry if they don't go a lot faster than that, I I can do this. You know what I mean? It was like pretty funny. I'm like, I, I think I can do this, you know? So we kind of get my stuff together, get a drink and I go rolling back out and just dumb luck. I end up with those same two guys again. So I rode the whole session with, with these two guys who I had only watched race Superbike on TV. You know, these guys were incredible. They were the top of the pile and I'm rolling around with them. And I'm, and I'm in the mix, you know? So it happens another time later in the deal. And then in qualifying, now we were split up even in odd numbers back then because the numbers are so big. A hundred people showed up for 80 grid spots and a hundred could make the cut. So it was very, very cutthroat time. And because I was in the odd numbers, I, was, I didn't get to go out with certain guys and I did with some. So the odd, the, 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 I want to say the even numbers went first, odds were second. And I remember I, I had met and gotten to know Jason Pridmore a little bit. And he and Richie Alexander were kind of teaming up together. Um, and Jason was on on Yosh. And Richie, I think, was riding for Chaparral maybe at the time. Yeah. And uh, we had kind of talked. And I was going to team up with those two guys to go roll around the racetrack and qualifying. And um, I remember going out and rolling with them. And I'm on, I'm on my good tire. and we roll out and it just worked out that I drafted them into turn one. And I felt so much pressure that they were behind me that I didn't want to be the guy that screwed this up, mm -hmm. that I just went absolutely nuts. I went for broke in the biggest way possible. I'm pretty sure I drugged the engine cases in turn one and thought he ran into the back of me because I was going too slow. And like, I just went crazy. And I come around, I finish the lap and I'm like, I get all the way to the end of the lap and nobody's come by me. And I'm just like, I, God, please tell me I didn't crash them out. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm distraught thinking, did I screw this up? Did I just screw up everything? But at the time I was on pole, I had set the pole time. And then like in the last 30 seconds, Miguel and Rich were drafting each other and both of them popped me and put me third on the grid. And then you had, Curtis Roberts, Nikki Hayden, you know, I, like every superbike star you can think of. Maladin was riding 600s at the time. I think the next Suzuki was on the fourth row. And there were four to a row at that time. So it was a pretty incredible deal. Steve Crevier had the number one plate on his Yosh bike, you know. So I was... Uh, you, you run a Suzuki? Yeah. yeah. And it's weird because that bike, you know, never really seemed to be, you know, the weapon. You know, well, it, like I said, Steve Crevier had the number one plate on his. Yeah. I didn't from remember. 1998. Okay. He had won the championship on it. So, wow. you know, and they had, and they had, I, I can't remember if it was six or eight Yosh bikes out there because they had Matt, Jason Pridmore, Rap, Pegram, uh, Crevier, because they had the TLR, the TL1000R racing in Superbike at that time and the GSXR. So it was, uh, it was, it was a big time where there were a lot of motorcycles, a lot of big riders, you know, and I just had this, this first weekend that, that really, you know, I smashed my way in there. And I, I remember walking through the pits at some point during the weekend and I, I was seeing people that I recognized and knew from TV, you know, and I remember, I remember Al Ludington stopped me 
And I'm like, oh, oh no, you know, here's, <laughs> here's, here's big cock Al that we see on AMI commercials and, you know, working with Miguel. And he's always got his sunglasses on Mr. Cool. And he goes, Hey, uh, the old man says that you're not wild or anything. You're all right to ride with. <laughs> and I took that as quite the compliment. <laughs> <What? You know? laughs> and, um, and then another time, like, cause we always had that day off in the middle there, you know, for Supercross or whatever. And I was walking around and, and Ben Bostrom stopped me and he was dating Leanne Tweeden at the time. And the two of them stopped me and they're like, Josh, man, you're riding so good. And I'm like, you know who I am? You know, That's I'm like awesome. looking at him like, what? <laughs> you know, like it was pretty incredible. So it was, for me, it was a, it was just a, a huge start to the season. And, you know, I actually had a, a pretty successful season. I, I think I finished the top Suzuki in both classes that I raced for the year. The tough part was once I won that 750 race, John wanted me to continue and ride three classes. And I, I was struggling a bit with the 750. So at some point, I crashed it a few times and had a couple of big ones. And I finally convinced him, Hey man, look, let me just, I'm doing like the 600 means a lot to me. And I like this bike. I'll ride the 600. You know, at the time, 750s always rode in the superbike class for extra track time. And the 600s always rode in the 750 class for extra track time. So I'm like, look, I'll do all the 750 races, you know, like I'll do it all. I got no problem with that, but I'd like to focus on just my 600 and my FX bike and not throw the third bike in there because it had, it had bit me a few times too. So, um, I was able to kind of do that, which got me more track time and just kept me, kept me in the mix on the 600. And I mean, I think I went on to, I, I had a couple of decent results, you know, I got a fourth, uh, at Willow Springs on it and, you know, I, I got to mix it up a little bit, but this was the year that, that, um, Nikki and Tommy were having their big, their big paddle, you know what I mean? And there were a lot of, fast guys in that class that year. So I had a, I had a couple tough ones. The other thing, Josh, 1999, if I recall, that was the first year for the R6 and that must've debuted at Daytona. Isn't that right? Maybe. I don't know. That would have been uh, Tommy and Jamie hacking. Yeah. That was the first year for that. And that was a big deal for Yamaha. Okay. If we don't fast forward, we're not going to get to anything. I'm sorry. Well, Paul, let me ask you. I, I'm sorry. I was going to come back and ask this, but Josh, Don't I want to ask you one thing. Just I want to go back to the Ed Bargy thing for a second, and then Paul's Paul tip it over to Paul. We'll fast so, forward. Josh, do, you re, do you remember the first time you ever got your knee down? Oh, embarrassingly, yes, I do. Uh, when I bought the leathers, um, I was just a little excited and. Got the pops. Down, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just in general, you know what I mean. And I didn't know if I could drag a knee. I didn't know. I didn't know. I, who knows? You know. But we had yeah. this. We had this uh, in at, at uh, down by home, Gulfport Lake. There was this little road that went down to Gulfport Lake, and it was um, it wasn't it was like a public road, but it just went back to a boat launch. So there was never any traffic out there, and it was uh, between the pump station, the poop the poop pump station, and a golf course. So. If something went wrong and you crashed, you just ended up in the golf course. The only person you're going to hurt yourself. And there was a little banked corner in the middle of it. And that's the first place I, I touched my knee and I went, oh, okay, I got this <laughs> and moved on. No, no you know? Do you remember it? Like, amazed, were you amazed that you could do that then? Not necessarily amazed, okay. I don't think. But, you know, I was trying to do it. So it was just yeah, like, yeah. Ah, okay. You know, like dragging knee wasn't the exciting part for me, I don't think. For okay. me, it was the feel of the acceleration off the corner, a little power wheelie or something like that. That was cool. Josh, usually when usually when we're good at something, it kind of comes easy. Did did it come easy? Like, did you feel like, hey, I'm pretty good at this, and this is coming easier, or was it a was it a battle? No, I like I, I don't know if I'd say it came easy to me, but it made sense to me, mm-hmm. and I did think I had. I, I will say, I think I thought I had an aptitude for it. Because it just made sense to me when people explained, you know, oh, well, if you do this, you do this, you do this, you'll go faster. And I could go out and think about it and figure out how to apply it. That made me think, okay, I, I think I can do this. This makes sense to me, right? Like, uh, uh, like they talk about, you know, Beethoven, right? Like when he looks at a, at a piano, I see this many keys and da, 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 and I, I don't know what to do with it. And he can see music in there, you know, like. And I think a motorcycle was a little bit that way for me. Like, 
all the the feelings and and what was going on, what my mind was thinking about, it all kind of that part kind of came natural, I guess. But at some point, you know, real quick, like especially when like 1999, when I got thrown into the mix with all the big boys, you know, I got a I got a fair share of where my experience level was and what I was going to have to do if I wanted to make it. Got it. Okay. So we go from 1999 to 2009, which is obviously 10 years, even the math. I can do math like that. You won a 750 Superstar <laughs> Championship between and two Formula Extreme titles. But in 2009, yeah. that's when everything really changed for you because you became a factory Yamaha rider. And that was 10 years after winning that first race. So that, <sighs> that, that, that took a while. <laughs> yeah. Right. I yeah. mean, most people, most people are writing stories about the journeyman they race to finally getting a superbike ride. Right. Like that was like the journeyman story, right? Like, right. will yeah. the guy ever, will the guy ever get a ride? Because right. if you that didn't was, make that's a what splash, makes your story different from anybody else's. Yeah. yeah. If you didn't make a splash, like you, you could become an old name real quick. And that can happen still now. You know what I mean? Oh, that guy has been around a while. He hasn't da 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 da, and they move on and don't think around you a whole lot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And here I was beating my head against the wall for a decade. I had been through injuries. My career was nearly over three or four times. You know, Pridmore bailed me out of one and saved my career. Then you know, some other injury. This happens. That happens. There was a there was a bunch of them. And heck, Keith McCarty's call to me. That was that. That was the lifesaver. And like I was in Portugal racing in world super sport. They weren't interested in me. It was a business decision. Paolo, Paolo Chabotti and guys from the Flamini group had actually gone to bat for me because they wanted an American in the series, you know, and they went to bat for the team who were looking at Honda and, you know, this and that about what was the best deal to, to, you know, who are we going to put on this bike? And and the guys in in World Superbike fought and said, "Look, man, we really want to see an American here, and he's got some credentials. So why don't we give him a shot?" And so I was there, and I was talking to him. I was I was doing okay. I didn't do fantastic, but I was doing okay. And uh, I wasn't, uh, you know, the bike was much different to mine, and and we we couldn't see eye to eye on settings. But you know, uh, I was trying, and they go, "Well." You know, you're over there in the U.S. with all this. I was on Aaron Kevin's team, and they're like, "Oh, you got all this parts unlimited money. Well, if you bring some parts Europe deal to this, then sure, we'll do something. But otherwise, we're going to go with people we know." And they had already kind of had made up their mind about Eugene Laverty, you know. And so I was basically out. I had nothing. I didn't know what I was going to do. And um, while I was there, I got the call from Keith McCarty. And, you know, Gina called me up and she goes, Hey, Keith called and offered us a super bike ride. And I said, I'll take it. She goes, you want to know the money? I go, does it matter? <laughs> like, I'll take it, you know? And, um, and it didn't start easy. Like it really didn't. Um, those guys had had the European super bikes the year before, two years before, I think with Eric and Jason. And, uh, then this new, new cross plane bike came out for 2009 and, uh, you know, Spees had signed up for the World Superbike team, so they weren't interested in, in, a, in another American. They had the American. And yeah. so, I'd run, you know, options over there had run out quick as soon as that was announced, which I think was while I was there. And uh, um, so, and, and then my teammate was going to be Ben Bostrom, who was Yamaha's golden child, who had just won the 600 Super Sport Championship for him. And, and you know, was just, Eric had been there and like, they were like family and he was on a high. So I came in feeling a little bit the outsider. And, um, and then of course we'd, we'd go to Las Vegas to that classic course and test a super bike there, <laughs> and which was challenging on that little track. You know, I learned to love it, but at, at the time it was tough. Eric had been, or excuse me, Ben had been doing it for a while and they had every cool superbike part on that bike before I ever rode a Yamaha. You know, I never rode one in super stock form. And it was a lot. And I didn't understand anything about the DNA of the motorcycle, what it was supposed to perform like. So we go to Daytona and Ben gets on the podium and I'm, I'm like eighth and I feel like I'm going to crash everywhere. I'm just trying to survive. And then we go to Barber and again, Ben gets on the podium and I'm, racing around in eighth place and struggling 
we go to road Atlanta, which road Atlanta is like home, you know, like I've ridden there for so many years. It didn't matter what motorcycle you gave me. I could find a way to make a lap time happen. It was just a, a that kind of place for me, you know, and I got there and I was back at the bus and I remember coming in. I want to say, I can't remember if it was like after the first day or something, but I came in, I was completely distraught. Melissa was racing USGPRU in Florida. I was by myself and I went in the truck and I'm got my head in my hands and I'm crying my eyes out going, I can't believe I got this factory ride and my, my career is over. And I came out and I, I saw Jim Roach and we got to talk and I said, listen, man, like, I don't understand any of this. Will you help me? And he goes, what do you want? I go, build me a super stock bike, put it all back stock, the big engine, electronics as close as you can, brakes. I, I like, just put some numbers in there that make sense that we've ridden on a little bit of everything before on suspension, valving and this and that stock link, stock triple clamps, like the whole thing. And he goes, really? I go, man, I don't care if I finish 10th today, if I learn one thing, so I'm never racing for eighth again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, please, like, I, I'm not, I'm not afraid. Like I'm, I'm stinking. What am I going to stink worse? My, my job, my life's over anyway. Right. So like, yeah, yeah. Can we do that? So they did. And the first thing that happened is I think some, there was a, a mechanical part that failed and crashed my brains out in qualifying ran over myself i'm beat to death i'm sitting in the medical center the front tire had like burned my neck and i'm like oh i'm just sitting there just beating jim comes in there with his head down and i go jim will the bike be ready for the race and he and he looked up and he looked around he never said a word to me he turned around and bolted you know so i come out get my gear together and go out and i ended up I ended up getting fourth and battling Jeff May for the podium. And it was like, holy smokes. Next day, kind of the same result. I mean, I finished fourth. If I remember correctly, I think I finished fourth in those two races in Atlanta and battled near the front. And that was a turnaround from eighth to that by just making it into a super stock bike with a fast engine. So we went to Sonoma and tested. The first day, all we did was clickers. Second day, we tested a part back and forth, and one part got put back on the bike. We go off and we race Road America. I have a disastrous weekend, but I had a couple of big, and I mean big breakthroughs during the weekend. I I went toe to toe with Matt Maladin for about four laps in practice, and Matt was a bully, and. I drafted by him. He outbroke me and ran us both off the track. I came yeah. back through. I'm laughing the whole time. I think it's the best thing that's ever happened because he's the king. You know yeah. what I mean? And he's the guy I'm trying to get to. And I just like, we went tit for tat for a few, la few laps. And finally, I kind of got the better. Of him. he ran off turn three into the grass. And I was just like, yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I kept going and I go, this is it. And then the rains came. I'm charging through the field. I knocked down my, Michael Laverty and myself. I, it was an atrocity. I just, it was just, the races were the worst. And then we go to Sonoma. And honestly, that first Superbike win at Sonoma that, you know, was such a big deal for Yamaha and the Suzuki's hadn't been beaten in three years or something. It was the easiest race I ever won. And it was just a crazy amount of dumb luck. My bike stayed pretty consistent. Everyone else struggled with some tire issues and all their pace dropped off. And I just kind of stayed steady in the same and made it to the end of the race. And I won. And it was a game changer for the people around me. And the next day, I think I got fourth. Ben ended up on the podium, kind of came back. He wasn't going to take, take it laying down very easy. Mm. And then we got some more parts. And then... We started doing more things and the, and the pace started coming around better and better and the confidence was growing. And by the end of the year, I'd won seven superbike races and I went from the guy who couldn't get a job in racing to being talked about as the favorite because I finished second in the championship to being the favorite for the championship for 2010. And it was a, a pretty, pretty crazy turnaround. Josh, the entire time that you raced 
in Yamaha for Yamaha on a, on a super bike. Was Jim Roach your uh, crew chief the entire time? Yeah, very few changes happened in my crew over the course of my time there. I would say the very first year, you know, it was it was uh, the first year was one way, and then there was some turnover because it went from the two rider team to the single rider team for ten and eleven. So that was a bit of a turnover and change at that time, right? So uh, I think the uh, the guys who ended up not on my team that were before I had I had Steve Rounds and and Jim, and then I had Chris Roman and June, and uh, that got switched around. And I think Jeff Meyer, who was doing uh, doing engines, became my second chassis guy. And, you know, of course, Vito was there my whole time. And yeah, and so there was just some turnaround a little bit. But then until I think it stayed the same, Chris Lessing doing suspension and all that until Jeff retired. Yep. And they brought in, um, they brought in Glenn Grenfell. And then I, I introduced him rough to the team. <laughs> and, and then even when Paul came in, I think Vito ended up sticking around and kind of helping us on the race weekends and working with me until I was done. So the crew, the crew itself stayed the same for, for nine long years. You know, the one thing I wonder is, so I knew that Jim was always with you, but how did it come about that Jim was your crew chief? I mean, how did that decision get made? That, that happened at Yamaha before, before I was part of the deal. I, I don't know how or why, Keith, you know, made those decisions. I had no input on it. And, uh, but you know, um, it's funny, like in the beginning, I wasn't sure about Jim, you know, like I just wasn't sure his, his demeanor is this and that. I, I had been through, through a lot of different things. I had had a guy, a lot of guys that were like kind of a jack of all trades. I'd had Keith Perry for a long time. I worked with Rick Hobbs for a long time. And then I had Richard Stamboli. And so, you know, all these guys, they, they, they knew a little bit about everything, you know, like chassis, engines, setup, this, that, like electronics, they all dabbled in all of them. And I felt like Jim, I think had done more development in all of them, in each of them, but he had, you know, a team of people around him. And it took me a little while to see that like kind of his magic was to be able to manage, you know, how to get to the right answer, having all of those different people who are an expert in each area. And he knew which one to go to. He could arrange and, and see a clear picture, you know, laid out on paper of what we had and what was working, what wasn't. And he could go to the right guy at the right time to extract the necessary change to make things happen. And then mm -hmm. he was very strong in, in our belief on, on pushing routine. And it, it served us well. And I think it's continued to serve me well far beyond the time that I was there. Cause here I am, if I go through my routines and I do all the same things, I'm, I'm still having success. Mm. Okay. 2014, you win your fourth title. And as we look at it now, your last, at least Superbike. Well, yeah. with yeah. you, with you, who knows? And then this <laughs> kid, Cameron Bobier came along in 2000. Well, he's your teammate in 14. Moto yeah. started in 15. He won the title by four measly points. Or that would have been your fifth. I teased him a lot about that because <laughs> because I won ten races to his eight that year. I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that was a big talking point. Was you won more but lost? I was and, picking at him because I when I crashed, I crashed big, and he he just tipped over. So if that kid hadn't come along. You might have won. You might have won seven. Maybe you know. Maybe. But we you don't know, know that. I, I mean, I I finished first or second in every championship for eight straight years. Seventeen yeah, was a disaster, you know, and and uh, I was able to to take them pretty deep into the championship each time too. You know, like it, it was always at the last race. Yeah, it was it off, so yeah, I, I think I think I made them compete. You know, and <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you've got to take a you've got to take a little pride in the fact that you you've had you've had some positive impact on that kid's career. I hope so. Yeah, I mean, he'll I say that. So. I hope so. I hope you know, like, I I I never was one to keep a lot of secrets. I didn't have a problem telling the guys what I was doing, how, why, 
because I know how hard it is to take that information and figure out how to use it anyway. And I was confident that when, when we got on the racetrack, I could still find a way to win. Now, and, and I enjoyed the challenge of that. So, I mean, here I am. I find myself in it now where I'm coaching guys. <laughs> you know what I mean? And racing against them. You know, it was pretty funny at Brainerd. I'm going over and I'm, and I'm talking to Brandon Posh and, and Richie Escalante about what I saw on track yeah. when I was on track with them. You know right. what I mean? Like, yeah, it's crazy. Hey, this is how I, this is how I got into a good position on you because when you got tired, you went down this road and you did this, you did that. And that helped me, you know what I mean? And, and they still have to go out there and implement. And so if I make them better and I can still compete with them, then it just keeps raising my game too. I feel like. Yeah. You can give them books, but they still have to know how to read. Right. Right. Josh, when you, when you look back at your career, I mean, if you think about 87 wins, I mean, I can't, I can't picture a lot of them because some of them are just a blur to me, especially those years where you were winning, you know, every race, you know, kind of consecutively. Do you, do you remember every win you ever had? No, I don't think so. You know, 12, like 12, 13, 14, those and 15, even, you know, those kind of, man, there were some, some crazy ones in there. There's a few that stand out. Uh, the, the one where I won the championship on the drying track at Homestead, the, oh, yeah. you know, doubling yeah. the, the one year we went to, to New Orleans and doubling there in front of all my family and people who, people who I went, grew up with who had never seen me race a motorcycle before. And I, and I dominated that weekend, you know, so there's some special ones in there. You know, I remember road America in 2012 was pretty special to me. It was just important to me because I love that place and I wanted to do good. Uh, mine and Blake's getting together at road Atlanta, which is yes. kind of what started my run after that. When I got the talking to from Jim Roach. <laughs> you know? So yeah, I did. I did. I, didn't I, mean, I, I, I don't like, I don't like conflict. And I was terrified that, that, you know, Blake and I had intersecting lines. There was no, malicious intent whatsoever but we had some intersecting lines and you know his handlebar gets caught on my hip going under the bridge at road Atlanta, and he falls down and i was distraught i went around the racetrack i didn't come back in pit lane i went straight down to where he was in turn 12 and said dude i was trying to get his attention he was already back on his motorcycle and rode back to the pits so i followed him i go to my team i put my bike they put my bike on the stand i get off and i storm straight down and i grabbed him by the helmet and I said dude are you okay and he goes, I remember yeah that. i'm okay and yep. I go, all right, I'm really glad you're okay. I'm sorry this happened and I'll see you on the track. And I turned around and walked away. And Jim was just like, Jim, knowing me, was like, all right, dude, listen. It was an accident and you don't owe him anything. You know, because <laughs> he was worried I would let him, let him get one on me because I was in a bad place. He's just like, dude, like this is racing. You don't owe him anything. You go out there and you race him hard. And I did. But he came up and was fucking Superman that day and won well, the yeah, race. Yeah, I remember you saying how good and, – and honestly, I was going to ask you – I mean, it is terrible for me to say this, but I was going to ask you, did you let him win that race? Heck because no, man. Because he won that like, damn that's, – That's how hero stories are made. I think it's a beautiful story. I hate that I lost, but you know what? What a great story. Yeah. And I got to be a part of it. You know what I mean? So I'm all right. Even though his career is like the complete opposite of yours, right? Yeah. Mainly because yours is long and successful and his <laughs> was short. His was short and, you know, he had a lot of success. But he was he was a tough rival for you, right? Our sport needed him. I hate that he's gone. He mm-hmm. was a talented rider. And, he, and in some ways, his own worst enemy. Right. But, you know, like, man... He had craft. He could race. He he couldn't. He he struggled on the lap time sometimes. But when it came time to put all the chips down on the table and go, that guy figured it out. And I was a fan of that. You know, I I wish he had had a much longer career. He would have been a good lesson for a lot of the guys that are that are racing now. That you know got to race me some, or just there, the more of us there were, the more good racers there were, the higher the level, the deeper the field, the better it is for everybody. That's why Moto Two. That's why Moto Two is so special right now. Right. I've got one for you. Of all the teammates that you've had, is 
is there a particular one that stands out in a good way? And is there a particular one that stands out in being a pain in the ass? Um, man, like I've had a lot of good ones. Uh, you know, Lopez was, you know, he, I learned so much from him in the beginning. That was pretty key. You know what I mean? Like he was a, he made a much bigger impact than I can ever, ever probably explain. Cause I don't even know that I understand how much of an impact he made on the decisions I made early in my career and how I went about racing, you know? And then Ben Bostrom was a fantastic teammate. He was just a good dude, you know? And I, I enjoyed working with him and that, that as was a bit of a wild child, Aaron Gobert, but yeah, you know, he, he was, he, the way he was a pain in the butt was he was kind of a squeaky wheel and the squeaky wheel always gets the grease with the team. So they were so busy minding to him whenever he was like, ah, that it sometimes it, it drew some of the team's attention away from me. So that was a little tough. Josh was probably the most, I would say, petulant and hardest to deal with somewhat because I kind of had, you know, I, I, I didn't mind helping him. I knew it was important to Keith. And, but I, I kind of, I said more than once to him over the course of the deal. I go, listen, man, I will tell you anything. I'll draw pictures for you. I'll do anything. But practice and qualifying, I just don't want to look over my shoulder and see my teammate stealing my work from me. We get out in the race. The race starts. If you can stick to my butt till the end of the race and beat me to the checkered flag, you have done your job. I'll high five you and I'll tell you great job. But leave me alone in practice and qualifying. Just let me do my work without looking over my shoulder. I got enough going on. And without fail, every single weekend, it was my teammate. So that was incredibly frustrating for me. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, Josh, it was Cameron. Cameron Bobier was the best one. Josh was the toughest one for you because he was in that mindset during that time period with Heron where he would he would follow. He doesn't really do that anymore. Cam was a Cam was a great teammate. He was like a little brother to me, but he was he was also different. Like because like I don't I don't know I don't want this to sound like I didn't feel the way this way with the other guys, but where I was in my life and the things that were coming down the road, I, I rated him very, very high. I knew he was going to do big things. I felt like I knew that very, very early and I still wanted to beat him. And also I had some other things happening in life that I started, you know, knowing Keith was kind of starting to throw the hints out that I wasn't very long for this deal, you know? And so my dad got diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Like there was a few things and I had had so many things going on. I started to have these weird, like I was thinking a lot of bad stuff that wasn't necessarily going on, but I, I started having lapses in concentration. I ran over Cameron at road Atlanta and I'm like, I was distraught that I took out my teammate and, and like, I care about the kid and, and I'm just like, Oh my God, like, am I, am I losing it? You know? And so I, I had a difficult time. And he was performing at a very high level and it made it really tough. So I was fighting the fight for my life. And, you know, 2017 was kind of that. In hindsight, I look back at it and everything that was going on and I go, holy smokes, what a disaster. Because I stopped doing all of the things that made me successful. And I just tried to ride with sheer willpower and I ended up burning three bikes to the ground <laughs> you know, and barely running at the front all season, you know, like. You were you were pretty beat up that year, as I recall. Your back and knees and all kinds of stuff, wasn't I, it? I had done everything. I'd thrown one over the wall at Road Atlanta and nearly yes. burned it to the ground. I did one at Road America in the sighting lap and burned that one to the ground. I finished my career with burning a bike and turned two at Barber <laughs> and several others in between. So it was just a, a difficult time. And, you know, like part of, quite honestly, I look back at that year and how it went. And I look at now and I go, I was fine if my head had just been screwed on straight, you know, like I still could have performed at a high level. I'm able to do it somewhat now. Yeah. Well, the so, irony in this whole thing, right? You think at some point you feel like you're on the outs and ultimately you are. But here we are in 2023 and you go ride their superbike and you finish fourth on the same day that you break this record. It, yeah. I mean, it, that part to me just seems like crazy. And now, I mean, I, 
I, I would imagine, I don't know if the Pittsburgh thing, they just announced that JD Beach is going to ride the bike there. I don't know if that was if that was offered to you and you thought maybe three superbike races and your two super sport races might be a bit too much, or if they just wanted to try somebody else. But maybe you can talk to us a little bit about that. I'm I'm pretty lucky that I, you know, I have an open dialogue because people are like family to me. So mm-hmm. when we were discussing the possibility of me filling in, I knew really quickly, I said, Hey, look, there's three superbike races at Pitt. There's no way. Like that'll be bad for all of us because I watched what happened at Laguna and you know, it would be like a superbike race, probably a junior cup race or something like that, or stock thousand, and then super sport superbike again. Cause superbike and super sport are always back to back. And I was just like, man, like pit is physical. It's a lot of lefts and rights, lefts and rights, lefts and rights at pretty high speed. It's like, this will be bad for all of us. And, and dude, I'm a fan of JD. I want him to get a shot. Mm-hmm. So I said, for sure, I can't do that one, but I'm good for the rest of them. JD could not do Brainerd for sure because of Peoria. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't know what's going to happen moving forward. I think some of it is going to you know, be depending on JD's performance and we'll evaluate. Like I was pretty tired on Sunday. I can't, you know, I got to admit, and, and I got a little unlucky with the red flag in super sports. So we finished the super sport race. I rolled into victory circle and they tapped me on the shoulder and said two minutes until super bikes roll. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> you know? So I walk straight over on the third day. I was pretty baked, but I, I was able, I was actually riding pretty good until my off track. When I went off the track and got that heart rate spike, that kind of took the last wind out of my sails. I was doing pretty good till that point. So, I mean, I think all these things will come under evaluation and and it'll be kind of a, a discussion amongst all of us and figure out the best thing for the team. And I know there's a couple of other guys that they've discussed also from Europe. So I don't know what'll happen moving forward, but right now um, I'm thankful I got to do it. And it was fun to, even for me to say, Fuck, man, I still got it. I can still do this. You know what I mean? And um for sure, it makes me hungry to want to do more. I wish, uh, you know, when, when my career, when, when Keith kind of said, all right, man, this is it. You know, I got nothing else for you. Keith was trying to line up some things for me with Yamaha to be able to test and go through testing parts for them. Uh, and he was trying to line up stuff with Dunlop for me to be able to do some testing for Dunlop on superbike tires, you know, so that they could try stuff outside of competition to actually make improvements in the tires, you know, because we can't get a special tire on a race weekend. It's really hard to do development. So he was trying to line some things up like that. And then just as, as you know, the world happens, you know, budgets and this and that, it never really worked out the way it was all planned. So man, I, I wish I could stay current. I wish Richard would, could build like a, you know, he, he likes to build parts too, you know, and do all this stuff. I would, it'd be fun to, to kind of be the Cal Crutchlow of a superbike team yeah. and be able to go out and be the test mule and just stay sharp and ride a motorcycle. I've shown I still got speed, you know, and help develop and do things that then carries over to the racers and can be put into real world action quick, more quickly, you know, and I, I wish I was able to do something like that. I think it would be a lot of fun. Well, I've got one last question cause we're going to have to cut you loose here. Um, I'll, I'll let Sean have a short one maybe, but, um, thank you. <laughs> my, my question is, it's two part question. Are you addicted to this? And what's the cure? <laughs> Cause you're 48 freaking years old. I don't know, man. I don't have the, I don't have the right answer. All I can tell you is I love it. I don't think anybody loves it more than I do. And you know, they can love it at least as much as I do, but I don't think anybody could love it more. And it's the competition that I love. Mm-hmm. I love being out there and, and competing, love riding motorcycles. Of course. I love that. I love riding all motorcycles. I'm really, really pretty good at this aspect of this part of riding motorcycles much more than, than dirt bikes. And man, I've, I've told people before, like, I know it's morbid, but I, I never, I never pictured how racing would end. I could only imagine it was going to end bad. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I'm going through some weird things in life where like I got out of racing in pretty good shape. I was playing tennis at a pretty good level and stuff. And then last year I go to barber and completely explode my leg and have the worst break of my career. You know right, what I mean? That's, and that's the one I thought. I thought, oh, you know, maybe that's going to be the one that's going to make him call it quit. <laughs> yeah. And, and, yeah, me too. 
And, then, and I mean, you had the record, but the record's not what, what kept you going, right? No, not at all. Yeah, it's uh, not enough. I mean, you've, you've been there enough times where Sean came up and said, hey, you're here in the record books. I'm like, oh, that's cool. You know, like I just want to win all of them and that'll, now that stuff takes care of itself. If you, if you do all the other parts, right. You know, like I just want to race. I want to race those guys. I want to line up with them and I want to get on track and I want to put them under pressure. Like that's fun to me. I love that feeling of, oh, they're hating this right now. And I just keep digging and keep digging and making it hard for them. That's fun to me. I love that stuff, you know? So Uh I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't have a good answer for you. I'm, I am so blessed that people will still give me the opportunity to compete on top level equipment and that I can go with people that I rate really high, like Chavi Forez and the, the whole super right crew. I think Mesa stepped up big, you know, Ty Scott, Teague Hobbs is coming up world-class racers. I'm going toe to toe with world-class racers at 48 years old and having a blast doing it. And I, I just feel blessed. I feel lucky. So, Paul, let me ask two quick questions to Josh. Josh, this first one, I'm, I'm, if you can, I want to limit it to basically a yes or a no, but I want to ask this question. Have there been opportunities since you have been kind of on your own with other, without Yamaha involved? And because of your involvement with Yamaha, you have had to turn them down or chosen to turn them down because of your allegiance to Yamaha? I, I would say a lot with baggers. Yes. Baggers. Yes. I have turned down a lot of bagger offers. Um, otherwise w- there's been some mutterings, but I think everybody that's in Superbike, super, you know, everybody that's in the primary classes, they all know I'm, I bleed Yamaha blue blood. So, right. uh, you know, they like that, they, they, they'll kind of throw something out there and I'm like, ah, man, as soon as you get on Yamaha's, we'll, we can talk. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and so, I'm, I this company's been so good to me. They're family, and I love the product. It makes sense to me, and I know if I get on a Yamaha, I can be competitive. And there's a little bit of the nervous factor of if I got on something new, could I figure it out? So, but I know if I get on a Yamaha, I'm going to be at the front, man. All right, Charlie, right. one more. Yeah, here's my last question for you, Josh. And this is going back to 2011. You probably said this to other people, but I remember you distinctly saying this to me in 2011. And this goes to what happened to you last year at Barber. I remember for you, you said, my career at this point is all about risk management. You told me that. So you had that big crash last year. Is your career still about risk management? I don't know. You know, like, here's the thing that happens about all that, right? When you, you, you ride for a while and you ride well and you start getting comfortable and cocky. And then every once in a while, Barbara comes around and slaps you back down and reminds you that you're not in control. Like I, I was just riding good. I was excited. I was on it. And the Lord reached down and said, Josh, you're going to take a break. You're tired. Boom. And that was it. I was sitting on the couch for three months, you know? And so. I I don't know, you know, like I think right now I feel like I'm riding within myself, but I'm having fun. I've had quite a few tip overs recently, but every one of them has been on the front on the slowest part of the track, you know? And so I'm, I'm confident right now that I can manage my situation. Well, I'm sure I I had a couple of moments in turn two on the super bike that scared me, you know? And I, I mean, like, man, it's all out there waiting for us always. And I'm asking for it pretty often. And, you know, when, <laughs> when, when people talk to me about breaking my leg, you know, they're like, oh, what happened? This happened. I go, man, I don't know. I was asking for it. You know, I was trying to go fast. That, that shit finds us sometimes. When you go out there you're looking for something, something reaches out and grabs you from time to time. And that's what happened to me. It's like you're when you would crash sometimes and I'd go, did you expect that to happen? And you just look at me like, are you some kind of idiot or what? But, you know, just, <laughs> well, it's like, I'm always asking for it, but I don't necessarily exactly. expect it to come get me every time, you know? Well, that's so, kind of what I was getting at is like, did you think you were over the edge is what I was always asking. But anyway, I, I feel like I'm trying to ride as close to it as I can. Cause that's how we, that's what we do to be competitive. That's who we are. And I want to practice what I preach. If I'm going to coach people who want to run at the top level and I tell them, you can't do it. There's there's no shortcuts to this. 
you got to do the work and you got to ride at that intensity and that level and you got to practice it and you got to do it all the time. Yeah. Like, what would I be if I didn't go out and practice exactly what I'm preaching these guys or preach what I practice? Right. That's what I try to do is preach to them what I practice rather than the other way around. And it's been pretty wildly successful with you as a coach, too. That's another aspect of something. We'll have to get you back on to talk about what you're doing for all the other riders because there's a lot of that. And I hear from riders throughout the paddock about how you help them. But Uh, sorry, I'm long winded. No, it's okay. (laughs) You know, at any rate, um, Josh, thanks for being on. I mean, my gosh, 87 wins. You almost had 88 at Brainerd, I felt like. I mean, I think there's going to be close. Yeah, it was close. And, and, and it, like they're going to maybe come a little quicker again. I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. I'm, I'm looking <laughs> forward to the rest of the year. I have a feeling Chavi's going to be strong at Pitt. Yeah. And uh, so I think Jersey has potential to be a really good racetrack for me. Austin's always a challenge, but I'm looking forward to trying it on a 600 instead of just a big bike. I've no, I've only ridden it on a super bike. So um, yeah. looking forward to the challenge of the 600 there. Maybe it'll feel a little different to me on the 600. So I, uh, I love waking up in the morning and showing up and putting my boots on and, and, uh, Megan Chavi and Stefano and all the boys work for it. And yeah. if I get a chance to go out there and put some pressure on Jake and the rest of those boys too, I'm going to try to do it because it's fun. All right, Josh, I, I'm, I'm happy. I, I think anybody that loves somebody as much as you love this should get to do it as long as they want to. So I'm, I'm all for it. Just be safe be careful, it. and keep having fun with it. And, uh, We'll see you in a couple of weeks here down in Pittsburgh. Sounds good. Thanks, boys. All right, bye.